we are separated from these entities and we're told these scripts are what we're supposed to follow. And when you fall outside of those scripts and you threaten the family, you threaten this like deep-seated core in people. And that's where I think a lot of people have trouble with um, ethical non-monogamy. Welcome to the Live Your Fuck Yes Life podcast, your place for all things real talk and conscious conversations about shit that really fucking matters. I'm Amanda Catherine Loy, mindset coach, actor, and truth teller extraordinaire. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a thought to help you face your fears, speak your truth, and get you one step closer to living your fuck yes life. Are you ready? Here we go. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Live Your Fuck Yes Life podcast with Amanda Catherine Loy. I am so so stoked for today's episode and specifically to have Gabrielle on um, because I have been following your work now for the last couple of months. I think ever since my friend, our mutual friend, Gabrielle, Mm -hmm. another Gabby, um, introduced you to me. And I was like, how have I not heard of this human sooner? Because I feel like we are literally so aligned with who Mm -hmm. we are and how we approach life, like bisexuality, E&M, and like talking about mental health. And while we have different professions and share in a different way. I'm just so stoked to have you on here. And honestly, I haven't had an open dialogue with another human other than my husband and within myself um, about ENM, about this space in a really fucking long time. And I've been really conscious about who I wanted to have on to talk about this kind of stuff with more intention. And as soon as I was introduced to you, I was like, this is the fucking human. So um, before we get into the conversation, you guys might notice we're on a different format right now. We started doing these on YouTube too. So I'm going to actually be introducing all of my peeps while they're on with me. So we're going to do that quickly and then we're going to hop into the conversation. So Gabrielle Smith, who is here with us today, um, she, her, um, is a Brooklyn-based sex and relationship writer. She specializes in looking at ethical non-monogamy, LGBTQ plus topics, mental health, and sex positivity from an intersectional standpoint. Her work has appeared in, in publications like Self, Cosmopolitan, Greatest, Insider, Bitch Media, and various others. And I can tell you, I have read so many of her articles and they're fucking amazing. Um, so she provides resources about ethical non-monogamy on her Instagram at by Gabrielle Smith. All of that will be in the show notes for you, but welcome Gabrielle to the podcast. Thank you. Um, I always get happy when I see people actually read my stuff <laughs> that honestly that's why I was like I started reading your shit there was a you, you did a couple articles that really stood out to me but the one about the relationship escalator is something that when mm-hmm. I first started getting into poly I was like this is huge and this mm-hmm. this concept of it and I immediately dove into that and I was like okay what the fuck else has she written about that's been so amazing and yeah you truly are an incredible writer and somebody that talks about this stuff from a lens that I think is so rarely discussed in the media. And so it's so fucking refreshing, truly. Thank you. Yeah, that's why that's how I got into it. I was just like, huh, there's no one who's like solo poly, who's like black, Afro-Latina in my case, who's mm-hmm. queer, um, kind of out in this space. So I wanted to do more about that. And then on top of it, like, I don't know, I think just the face of EM and polyamory is very like cis white maybe yeah. like you've got some blue hair some ropes going yeah, on but maybe some um, usually in the couple form <laughs> yeah. and like there's nothing wrong with that but I think um it, it can be alienating totally and I totally felt that way too when I stepped into poly for myself because I've only been mm, 
I want to say like actively in the community for two and a half years now. Um, and I, before that was operating in a monogamous framework and I did enter into it from, you know, being in a couple and yeah. being married and also I'm white and cis. And while I am queer, like there's so many different representations, but in the media, you don't see that. And it's really, really frustrating because I'm sure, and I'm sure that's been an experience for you. Like, has, was that really hard when you first started coming out and sharing that piece of yourself? Um, I mean, I've been really lucky. Uh, my parents don't care. My parents, my my parents met while my mom was working for my dad in a strip club to like give that back fra- that um, framing. Oh my god, that's so awesome! I my love parents that story. are very sex positive. Like it's more so um, that's none of my business. Like I don't care. Then um, yeah, openly embracing it. But um, right. I don't know. Once my mom did say like teach me how to be a player like you and I was like that's that's not what this is but okay <laughs> teach me how to be a player like you oh my gosh mom yeah thanks, I'm mom. like no mom no <laughs> <laughs> so um definitely when I lived in a more conservative place I lived in South Jersey for mm, 10 12 years um I refused to do the math and a lot of people when I was having issues in my relationship, they were like, oh, it's because you want to be polyamorous. It's because you're trying for this open relationship. So I got a lot of that, but Mm. past that, like having worked in like either media or food and beverage, everybody's just like, whatever, like half of New York city, um, the restaurant staff is actors and like artists of sorts. Very open-minded people. You're doing what you're doing. Yeah. That's awesome that that's been your experience Mm -hmm. because I, I know that for many that's not been true. Mm -hmm. And I think there's also the fear. I know a lot of people listening to the podcast and, and a lot of our listeners are like considering E&M and have been Mm -hmm. asking a lot of really beautiful questions around it. And there's this so much fear of perception, so much fear of, uh, you know, especially if they are in partnership how their partner will navigate, if that will, you know, negatively impact mm-hmm. their relationship, all sorts of stuff. And I know I had that fear. I had all those fears, especially because yeah. I came out as bi and polyam within the, a year span. It was mm-hmm. just like massive, you know, like here I am. <laughs> yeah, they're like, okay, maybe she's just going through a thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Well, and, and that was what, you know, a lot of my family members said, like with my first relationship, uh, you know, post coming out, it was like, well, this is a phase. And then mm-hmm. it was like, oh, I met somebody else after that relationship ended. And they were like, oh, I guess it's not a phase. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah. Has that been your experience? Like, what was your coming out story like? Uh, well, I guess I've always technically been in non-monogamous relationships. Mm. I wouldn't always say they were ethical, but um, my first partner my first boyfriend, we got together when we were 17. He was like my first everything, first kiss, like first time I had sex, all of that. So about a year and a half in, I had, um, I was just like, noticed I was looking at other people. um, And I ended up like giving someone my number at one of my jobs. I felt really bad about it. So I tried to break up with him because in the past he had said he wasn't interested in open relationships, which totally fine. Um, so, but in response to that breakup, because I was like, oh, this isn't fair to you that like, I'm feeling these ways. And like, I did this tonight and that's not good. Mm-hmm. He was like, well, let's try this thing that you want to try. So I think a lot of people think when you open up a relationship, suddenly you're like fucking everyone. That's not yeah. true. Yeah. In like the next year and a half that we were together, 
I had sex with two people, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, it ended up like just not working out because we, um, we just were growing out of each other. As you do when you're in your late teens, you know? Yeah, exactly. We were children. Yeah. (laughs) Not that that also doesn't happen when you're adults, because let's be honest, all the time. Yeah. Um, So like I was growing up and he was um, growing less, I guess we could say. Um, Mm. But yeah, no. So my mom, when we opened up, she knew and my mom was, you know, pretty sex positive just because um, she let me have my boyfriend sleep over and she like thought we were having sex way before we were and she was like well I'd rather it happen in my house um yeah. his parents weren't the opposite like we were supposed to sleep in different rooms on different floors um <laughs> whenever I slept over yeah so my mom knew and she was just like I think this is stupid and she did have like a slut shaming aspect of it for a while because I think she couldn't come to terms with the fact that I was having like a sex life and I was flirting with people Mm -hmm. and kind of finding myself in those ways I think it just made her uncomfortable that I was having sex um but she never stopped me Mm. she just like would ask questions or she'd be like oh it's not gonna work out but overall, she didn't really care. My friends were like, that's Gabby. She's just going to be weird and do what she wants. Um, and then, yeah, as I continued to go on, a lot of my friends um, are queer and ENM, which I think helped a lot or were open to it. Um, and yeah, it's for me, it's been really easy. I've never had anybody negatively react. Yeah. But I know that's not the case with everyone. Yeah. Um, I'm just very lucky in that respect. Yeah. I also think you're in the anomaly of having friends and people Mm -hmm. who were already in that space. Because while I haven't had a lot of backlash within my humans, like my close humans and family, Mm -hmm. there's been some like, I don't really understand this, but I'm going to support you, I guess, question mark, Mm -hmm. you know, responses. I will say that it was like... I walked into this abyss of the unknown where I was just like paving my own path, which in some way I'm really grateful for because I feel like I was able to make it whatever I needed it to be for me instead of having these predispositions or having other people talking to me about shoulds, you know, which I fucking Mm -hmm. hate. But I didn't have a community of people who were a part of this. I have some friends now who have stepped into this space since I've come out. And that's been Mm -hmm. so nice to be like, oh, we can talk about this. And you actually get it, you know, like, but, you know, and it's not that like the humans in my life that are monogamous um, cannot, you know, I can't speak to them about this and they can't understand because relationships are relationships at the end of the day. And it, it, there's some things that you just don't understand the like, having multiple partners piece of things and having to like, you know, share your time and like figure out how to even like come into that, that part Mm -hmm. of yourself or or whatever that might look like. Or like some people might respond in the way of like, well, okay, but you have another partner. So why is it a big deal that you're fighting with this person? Just go hang out with the other person. And it's like, well, because it sucks. And because feelings are feelings. (laughs) It's like, why, why are, when you have one friend that's mad at you and you're great with the other friend, do you just magically forget about the friend that's mad at you? No, like it's not how life works. So I don't know. It's just been, it's been harder to feel like there's been humans in my life who I've been able to like go to, if that makes sense in this way. No, I totally get that. I will say I'm the one of, I'm the only one of my friend who chose E&M as a deal breaker in relationships or always lean towards it. Mm-hmm. Tell me more um, about what that means to you. Well, I think, you know, ethical non-monogamy is a spectrum, right? Totally. 
it can be anything from polyamory where you're having multiple relationships to being like, oh, you're going to Cancun for the weekend. Do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, but only do that there. Yeah. So I think that's important to know. And my friends were more on the monogamish, like having consistent threesomes, um, or I guess like a one penis policy, we could say, Um, because most of them are queer. So they were like, I'm not giving up um, my, my pussy. Yeah, no, no, not getting that up for sure. Yeah. I feel that. Yeah. When you're in those more conservative areas, either the men are afraid of um, other women. So they're like, absolutely not. Or they're like, like um what do they do they're like oh well she can't take you from me and I'm like oh sir yes <laughs> if only you that knew. is how it works <laughs> yeah, yeah so um i my friends have always been like oh yeah we're, we're having a threesome with this girl we got on tinder to do that um and when it's part of your lifestyle I consider it ENM. when you're like just doing little one-offs and stuff mm-hmm. then I don't think it is mm-hmm. but yeah so I've never had people to talk to about with it I talked to about it um up until recently when my friends have kind of pursued these relationships more um deeply Mm. but I've been doing it on my own with multiple partners for officially I guess two three years yeah that's a great that's amazing crazy amazing Mm -hmm. I also think it's beautiful that it's kind of always been a part of just the way that you've naturally moved and that you've allowed yourself to step into that space maybe more from a like label standpoint, which I fucking hate still. But like, mm-hmm. I think it, it's, I think the fact that polyamory ethical non-monogamy is becoming a little bit more socially acceptable and mainstream and with, because of the kind of work that you do putting it in mainstream places, like having it in Cosmo and greatest is a fucking huge deal. Like, let's just say that. Can we just applaud that <laughs> for a second? It's a huge <laughs> deal. I mean, did that feel huge to you? Um, well, when I got my first Greatest was my first paid byline ever. Um, My first article about being polyamorous Mm -hmm. um, in a pandemic. I wrote a personal essay about how we thought my boyfriend got COVID and like how me and his wife were communicating about it. But I, um, when I got in Cosmo, I was like, holy shit. (laughs) Um, I was really excited about that because like, you know, Cosmo represents a lot of things to me. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just been nice to be able to write about these things. And one of my favorite things about Instagram is I'm learning, like, I want to be the resource that I didn't have. You know, I saw like, okay, you could either read a book or I don't know who's publicly non-monogamous, like Shan Booty. I think she's the only person I can think of right now that has a bigger platform. Huge platform. That's non-monogamous. Totally. Um, And like Ari... Ari Fitz, I think her name is that, but that's all I can think of um, in terms of like people online. So I've just, I don't know, really been happy that people like they DM me and they're like, you know, this is like a breath of fresh air. This is really relatable. So I guess more than being in any platform that really means a lot to me is just like that um, peer to peer um, interaction. Totally. I hear that. I'm right there with you. It's why I do everything I do. Yeah. I will say though that I think having those media outlets is giving mm-hmm. voice and like cuz I think about myself as a teen or even mm-hmm. like, you know, in college, I would read Cosmo all the time. I mean, it was the one thing I went to for anything sex mm-hmm. related. It was like my my place. I went yeah. every time I would go on a plane, I would buy a Cosmo and I'd be like, "Okay, like what are the things? Like why am I having these UTIs or like why am I struggling What's so hard?" On? And like, yeah, <laughs> like all this stuff and I was like, "I just want to feel more sex positive. 
positive. I just want to like feel great in my body Mm -hmm. and like I want to be myself. And everything was so straight. It was so cis focused. It was so Mm -hmm. all these things. And like, you know, I didn't even own my own queerness for fucking forever, but certainly Mm -hmm. not my uh, perspective around love. And I didn't, I didn't think that, you know, that was so wild because I felt such deep love for my friends. Yeah. And yet there was nobody talking about how that could maybe look different and how maybe you could also have intimacy in a different way, whether it's romantic or sexual, you know? And so yeah, like, no. to um, see if that you want there, to talk about that, I've just been reflecting on that a lot, yeah. like intimacy and friendships. Yeah. Um, when I lived in South Jersey for like three years, I lived with my very best friend. Um, um, first we lived in this huge house together. And then like that last year we lived together on our own mm-hmm. and just close friendships. Like, I mean, we're both bi, so we did try to hook up, but yeah. like, it just <laughs> literally tried it never talked about it again. Yeah. Like really just like never tried again. Um, but like, I don't know, we created like a little family with our cats and we like emotionally relied on each other. And yeah. like, if she couldn't make rent, like I lent her the money for it and she'd yep. be like, I'll pay you back. And I'm like, whatever, stuff like that. Like if she didn't have money, I would make sure she was fed. Like I would wait for her to come home and make cheese plates for us to watch anime together. Yeah. And like, you can't tell me that's not a relationship. I'm I'm right there with you. And or like the phone calls that you would make at like two AM to somebody yeah. and expect them to pick up and they would do the same for you or like take you to the hospital if you're sick. Like mm-hmm. I have friends like that too. And I always saw them as I even called them my partners. Yeah. Before I was you know, out outly to myself or to anyone else as non monogamous. Like I think the way that we box relationships into these categories of like, well, you can only have one person and that person is going to be your everything is just, you know, it's wild to me. And I think some friendships, I mean, some friendships in my life are hands down more important to me in terms of my time and energy than partners that I have, you know? And like, that's because they've been there in there for 20 years or whatever. And just because we happen to have a non sexual relationship doesn't mean that that importance or value of that relationship is any less yeah and I think a platonic intimacy takes away so much pressure as well like when I started um doing my research on ENM, like as I've been going into this field more and more deciding like what I want to do or like creating content that um people want or need I've been really learning more that we have to look at the family structure And like all of these, especially American ideals, like of how our society is supposed to look like. Because when people, when you're ethically non-monogamous, people are like, okay, but what are you going to do? Like, are you still going to get married? Like they start asking about your future, which you might not have have even thought about. Right. They're like, how are you going to have kids and all that stuff? Because like the family is this capitalist structure that we've been sold and taught. Um, whereas like before the forties, it wasn't even like that. Yeah. Before the forties, everybody still lived with their grandparents Mm -hmm. and like, you didn't leave home until you were married. And like what you see in like within really any immigrant culture, like European, um, Asian, South American is like, that's still a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and the kind of nuclear family really broke down our connection to people Mm. Um, and then I link that to capitalism, which like capitalism is, you know, the source of all evil. Completely. Um, but that long tangent to say, like, we are separated from these entities 
and we're told these scripts are what we're supposed to follow. And when you fall outside of those scripts and you threaten the family, you threaten this like deep seated core in people. Mm. And that's where I think a lot of people have trouble with um, ethical non-monogamy. Totally. I also think because we've been so marketed to that nuclear, you know, family being broken by multiple intimate relationships, usually in the form of an affair, Mm -hmm. which is unethical, you know, that's all we've been programmed to believe can exist in this world. And so it's like, you know, you're not just experiencing that additional sexual intimacy, but you're experiencing it in the form of deceit and betrayal and lies instead of in the form of honesty and kindness and mutual agreed upon, you know, parameters mm-hmm. and weighing of, ways of stepping into it with intention, um, which which if we're doing that and everybody is consenting, which we're all consenting adults or at least yeah. hopefully should be, then why the fuck not? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's always my my way of operating. But I agree. Like, I think – we're so built on so much capitalism and patriarchy and bullshit that like kills me. It just yeah. kills me. And I think we're finally starting to break away from it. And I think it, this is another way of doing that, talking about, you know, ENM. You talked about the like multiple ways of ENM. Yeah. And I've talked about this too. I had my husband Kevin come on and we talked about like how ENM is kind of like a big umbrella and polyam is like a smaller umbrella underneath the bigger umbrella of ENM. Totally. And, you know, there's all sorts of ways, but you talked at the beginning about solely solo polyamory, which mm-hmm. I know is how you practice polyamory. And that is not how I practice polyamory. And so I would love can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about what that is for you and how that's like existed in your life and what the fuck that even means cuz a lot of people are probably like the fuck is that mean? No, totally. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Um so I, yeah, I choose to practice my polyamory in a way that like a lot of people call solo polyamory where like I choose to treat myself as my primary partner. Um, I don't really deal in hierarchies. Um, my partners kind of mostly just get seniority. <laughs> Whoever came first or is like the most involved in my life or like who gives me the same energy I get, yeah. give them kind of stuff like that. That's how I prioritize my partners. So obviously there are hierarchies, but it's not um, inherent rooted. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I don't plan my life. I think in that typical way where, you know, you get married and you potentially have children, you move in together. I plan my life based off of like really baseline considering what makes me happy. Um, so for a while I, or rather I should backpedal and say like my last relationship, we were primary um, and we were just really struggling in a lot of areas, but we we did really want to be polyamorous. So um, the relationship itself ended up becoming really codependent and um, and we were very intertwined. We had like trauma bonded, all that good stuff. So fun. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And also we did um, the very, the famed don't ask, don't tell when we did open up, which was really bad <laughs> and like Can don't ask don't tell is especially why... where you yeah so go yeah, ahead where you pretend you're in a monogamous relationship but you are allowed to have sex with other people you just don't talk about it with your partner and you kind of hide it from your partner can you talk about Which... why that was bad for you because I feel like a lot of people Mm-hmm. I never went in with a process like I was like fuck no like that is a hard I, I want to know everything I want to like I want to have the information as long as it's consenting from the other person like yeah. I want to know like let me know I want to celebrate you mm-hmm. but like mostly I'm like I just don't understand that perspective in general but I think a lot of people go in thinking 
okay, it would just be easier to not know, but like, I want to do it for myself, but I don't want to know about your stuff, you know? And so mm-hmm. I want to implement this don't ask, don't tell policy. Can you talk about why that wasn't positive for you? For me, it was, it felt like I was sneaking around. Yeah. Um, and we were still figuring out how to like break free from like that possessive nature that you can have in monogamous relationships. Um, Both of us weren't really jealous, thankfully, but just kind of like I had really bad anxiety at the time. Um, I mean, still do, but it was worse. And he ended up like lying a lot when he didn't really have to. Mm. So I'd be like, you can tell me if you're with somebody and that's why you're not replying to my text messages or my calls that's fine. Like I can deal with that. I want to sit in that feeling, but, um, he was afraid of how I would react. Um, Mm. just like me having an anxiety response and him not wanting to do that, deal with that while somebody's there. So like in the moment he would tell me, Hey, I'm like with my friends, you know, sorry. I just like my phone died. And then the morning he'd be like, no, I was with a girl. And I'm like, what, what is happening? Like, it just creates this dialogue of, um, deception that's not viable and I didn't want to do it long term and I also really love talking about my partners if you're my friend if you're my partner you're gonna hear about my partners and like if not being able to do that especially like one night I had a bad night I had a bad hookup with a couple and I wanted to talk to him about it but like Mm -hmm. I felt like I couldn't so it just I don't know it feels I feel like it creates more space between a couple than like brings them together which often is what polyamory ends up doing yeah I completely agree with you and I and I think the fear thing that you mentioned about him Mm -hmm. being scared like I think that's at the root of so many of issues I've at least experienced in my own relationship and also that other humans I've talked to in the A&M space of like well I'm just I'm scared so I'm going to respond from a from a fear place but also I'm scared that you might think this, or again, it goes back to perception or all these Mm -hmm. things. And like when we just embrace the fear and like we're stepping into a scary space anyway. So why not Mm -hmm. fucking fully, at least as my perspective, why not fucking fully embrace it and just be like, Mm -hmm. I'm scared. I'm going to tell you I'm scared. You know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's the, a lot of people have a lot of trouble um, expressing their emotions. And one of the, I guess, freeing things about polyamory, um, is that everything is up for conversation. Yeah. Um, you can always restructure your relationship. You can always restructure your lifestyle. You can always tell somebody how you're feeling. And the assumption is that your partner or whoever you're dealing with will be able to say, okay, um, hopefully reassure you and then hopefully have like, a decent response to it Mm. like an emotionally intelligent response because I I did a post about this like I think emotional intelligence is required I agree to practice ethical non-monogamy because you need to know what you're feeling you need to know how to like regulate your feelings you need to know how to express that feeling and you need to know how to um let it go (laughs) when it's done totally and take ownership for your pieces too yeah like it's I completely agree I also think that goes in line with self-awareness. And I I have at Mm -hmm. least noticed that in the partners that I've dated that have been very self-aware, 
it has been so much more of a positive experience, whether yeah. that's closed or con- has continued versus the partners that are so not self-aware at all. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, okay. No. This is I will really admit fun. like a lot of the women I've dated, like actually dated, not just hooked up with, I was like the first or second girl they dated. Yeah. And it was the same thing, vice versa. Um, and I was like, you know, you go into queerness if you're predominantly dating men um, at first, like, oh my yeah. God, girls are so much better. We already know that. Yeah. Um, and then you, you're like, fuck, I have, I'm having the similar, I'm having similar problems. They're just acting differently. Completely. You know? Yes. I fully feel this <laughs> with you. I had the same experience because I, I mean, you know, again, my coming out as bi was very linked at the mm-hmm. same time as me, me stepping into polyamory. And so I think my first three partners you know once I opened up were all women and I was like don't even want to look at men don't want to don't want to see a penis like I just want I want (laughs) I want to step into this space and I want you know but it I agree with you it was I thought it was going to be so much more like expansive and exciting Mm -hmm. and like it was on a sexual front for me because it was like new territory new excitement but it was like emotionally at least the women that I was interacting with were just in a space that was not where I was and so it was like the drama was present and I just didn't know how to navigate that like I just I'm such a drama free human like yeah same (laughs) get this the fuck out of my life I'm just like I just want it to be chill can we just fucking chill like why can't we chill no um I right before the pandemic I actually I dated a couple and um I was, I think, the first girl she had, like, dated, and, you know, I've been doing ethical non-monogamy technically, like, for seven years, um, on and off, and I'm really good at stating my feelings and navigating these things, and my partner, he is something like 10 years older than me, and him and his wife have been doing it for so long that um, I have all these resources, and the two of them just ended the relationship because they did not know how to communicate with me and each other. Mm. So um, we kind of just like all fell into bed and went on, like I went on a date on a whim yeah. with them. Yeah. And then like it just became this great, amazing thing. And um, when you kind of get into those situations without taking a step back to talk about it, um, it just like snowballs. Totally. So like she thought that I wanted a more serious relationship and like he wasn't able to like divide the um the uh dynamics of like being in a potential throuple or triad where like there's like four relationships you know there's not just one yeah and um it was wild because I was like I have the resources to have solved like these problems so we didn't have to get here but no one spoke to me and kind of the same thing happened with like the other girl I dated like she just didn't express herself and then like our relationship was over and I was like okay (laughs) totally interesting um and I wonder if that's like a thing where like we make women feel like they can't say what they really want or like Mm. they can't disappoint people yeah yeah, well, I think, experience. I mean, at least from my own personal experiences, mm-hmm. what I've, what I've seen in my partners and also in myself, I think we've been so programmed as humans, generally speaking, but I think especially as, you know, any female identified humans to really not speak up for what we want frankly, yeah. and to just constantly be giving. I'm like people pleaser 24 seven. That's mm-hmm. been like a recovering process for my own self. And 
I know early in the polyam space, I was like, okay, well, if everyone else wants this, because I also stepped into it, my, my first relationship was a triad. Mm-hmm. And I stepped into that and I was like, well, everyone else is feeling good here. So I should also, even though I'm not really yeah. vibing with this moment or this experience, I'm just going to keep that to myself. I'm not going to talk about it, which of course was problematic. And of course it led to me being like, I think I'm going to get out of here. I think I'm going to step step away yeah. now. And there was a, a few other reasons. There was some emotional abuse happening and all sorts of stuff that I was like, I don't, nope, 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 won't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. But at the, at the end of the day, like, you're totally right. The communication piece is so fucking important. And while I had the skills to access my own feelings and understand where they were coming from, I didn't feel – I had that fear of if I speak this, then I'm going to, I don't know, like alienate these humans who I care about and I didn't want that or cause a rift in this instead of cause us to come closer together. It's so yeah. interesting how backwards that is because at the, at the end of the day, when we say how we feel, that's what brings us closer together than when we don't. And sometimes that closeness might mean ending a relationship for what it is, but we can do it in a healthy and kind and compassionate and conscious way instead of it being an explosive, massive Mm -hmm. fucking shit show. Yes. Or like in my case going, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I guess we're done. Bye. I guess this is over. I cry about, I mean, I cry about everything. Like I, I went on a few dates with like someone who's now a friend of mine and he was like oh you know I think we were probably better off just being friends and I was like okay cool like totally fine with that and then like I cried about it and I was like what is the point what is the point why are we crying let's feel the feels (laughs) I'm right there with you though I mean I, I I I agree with you though like I think I've had it on both sides. Like I've been that person and that also was the person who was left for no reason. Mm -hmm. And it was like multiple times. And it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. deuces, I guess, like bye. Mm -hmm. And like I I think it's interesting coming into it as a bi person. I wonder if you've experienced this where it's like then those people then go after men and you're kind of like, was this because you weren't – because I was the first, you know, woman for a a couple of peeps. Mm -hmm. And it's like we're – Mm, was that why like you weren't ready for that even though you expressed that you were you know I I, I don't know I don't know if you've experienced that too um not personally but like my I mean the first girl I dated when I moved to New York that she's with a man now I think um and I was just like oh so like you just didn't like me (laughs) you know Mm. um that was kind of more how I felt because I like I don't know. I think of men as, like, less powerful (laughs) than women. I don't know why. Maybe it's, like, something I've, like, trained myself to do because I did bottle service for so long. But, Mm, like... That would make sense, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, oh, you can... It's fine. Like, you're you're not smart. (laughs) I want to pivot for a second because I've been thinking Mm -hmm. about this a lot, especially with how much your platform has blown up and how much you've, like, really become, I think, a, a beautiful figure for this work I'm curious what it is being a person of color in that space because I feel like that probably I imagine would have a hold a lot of additional weight and pressure Mm -hmm. in a different way because there's so little representation in that space can you speak to that a little well um I can speak about one thing definitely is that like the space is very white even in New York um I I got introduced through my partner who's white and my other partner is white and like I have dated non- I, wait, sorry, I have dated black people and people of color. Um, I'm just not currently right now. Yeah. Um, pandemic makes it a little difficult. 
I love that article that you did about your partner and how like that, I can't remember what the title of it was now. I, I, like my partner doesn't define my blackness. Yes. I love yeah. that article. Thank I'll you. put it so, in the show notes for all of you guys. I did that article because this, it happened a few times where people like came after me and they were like, oh, is your like, do you date black people or like asking me questions? And I try to keep a very um, uh, fine line where I, I'll show pictures of my partners and I'll mention their names, but I won't tag them. And I try not to just make it so people are invested in my relationships. Um, And invasive questions like that, I don't like to answer because um, I don't owe anyone an explanation. That's kind of how I feel. But um, the polyamorous community is really white. Like, I don't really care what people say. It is. Um, You can hopefully find all black spaces, and all, um, well, whatever space you're looking for, all POC spaces are out there, but they are harder to find, especially if you say like me, transplant into a city, um, even already having some roots here. Um, if you aren't a member of the community already, or if you aren't aligned with like sex and like all those values, you're really going to have to search. Um, so like it's, (laughs) it can be a struggle. So I feel pressured to like only date black people or people of color. Um, and I, I do really want to, I just think there are more roadblocks for people of color to come out, uh, come out as non-monogamous and date non-monogamously. So inevitably there are less people in this field, um, field in this like community. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I'm like field. No, I work. I mean, in the work you do, speaking around this stuff like I haven't seen a lot of people of color talking about this openly there's a few voices for sure in the space which Mm -hmm. I love following but like it's rare to see yeah there's like Michelle polyamorous while Asian um there's like Marjani Lane uh I I I really forget how to pronounce their um (laughs) thing but it's it's lovely um they make really amazing graphics um and there's like polyamorous black girl and yeah um Kevin Patterson wrote the book, Love is Not Colorblind. Mm. Um, and he's a, so those are all people of color. Those are all black people minus um, Michelle Polyamorous while Asian. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's a mostly white space. And what I've been thinking about a lot recently is that the space is mostly populated by either licensed professionals, like if um, like sociologists and stuff or, and sex educators or, um, Hmm. or just like women Hmm. we don't have a lot of like cis men who openly talk about non-monogamy and I think like breaking past that barrier will like make it so much more open and available Ooh, you're making me want to have my husband on the podcast more (laughs) well I think if if you know a cis straight man who's willing to be on podcasts and like talk about it I think it would help a lot Um, me I did a men's health live with um zach zane mm. yeah i saw that uh, yeah so i he had me on because we were we wanted to talk about enm but like i'm in this bubble all my friends are enm all my friends are queer now um or at least open to enm yeah and we realized we had to backtrack and start explaining all the terminology and like people were like, yo, I can't, like, what? That's crazy. Totally. Or like a very common, she belongs to the streets, which yes, I do, but only I can say that. 
Um, <laughs> and um, I, I was just thinking about that a lot, but there's a specific comment that was like, we need a, they said, no offense, we need a straight guy to talk about this because Zach is bi. Mm. And I wanted to be like, my partner who is a straight white male um, will say exactly the same things that I am right now. Completely. Um, but those men are, I think are rare because you have to question every aspect about yourself before you get there yeah um like when you're in a power of privilege uh it's a double-edged sword because you are in you have privilege but when you realize that you have privilege you have to realize all the things you were told that you are is a lie um so i think that's why it's more of a challenge for cis men to deal with it yeah i agree with you especially cis white men Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a lot for sure. But yeah, we're going to have him on the pod more because mm-hmm. I, lo- I love having these conversations and I think it, they, they do exist, you know, I, at least I've I've connected with some really, honestly, really beautiful and open minded, um, straight and also pan and bi, you mm-hmm. know, white men. And it's been really, really empowering to meet them within my, you know, online dating process this last year yeah. and be like, oh, wow, like there are you are there are more of you out there. It's not just my husband who's this like rare duck that I've known. He's for a not long like time. a gem. Yeah, like there are. I mean, and granted, like there are also lots of people who aren't in that space, and you have to be like really, really, really aware, especially on dating apps, because it's like, what the fuck are you stepping into? Going on field, it's like, no, 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 no. Do not send me a dick pic. I don't want to see it right now. Maybe if I ask for it, but right now I'm not asking. So, but yeah, oh, yeah. I feel you. <laughs> okay, I before we get into our fun fast questions at the end, mm-hmm. I wanted to chat a little bit about this. I and mean, I feel like we gotta have you back on because I, there's so many things I want to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I'm so big. <laughs> I know, and like I also know a part of what you talk about is like the sex positivity space, and obviously I think ENM allows for that. But I also know you've sp- you've spoken about and done some articles around BDSM. Has yeah. that been a part of your entering into ENM and why that has been has been important to you for your own story or like? How has that, you know, brought you into the space, if that makes sense? Yes. I mean, I wanted to, I want to talk about kink more, but I'm just afraid to because Instagram um, hates anything to do with sex. Like, Seriously. Or boobs, apparently. I got boobs. disabled because because I post about my foobs all the time. My boobs. <laughs> yeah. And it's like from a double mastectomy, like, I, you know, from a I don't want breast cancer standpoint, you mm-hmm. know, that's why I share about it. But it's like, fuck censorship. I have such problems about it. But anyways. That's no. Funny. And it's like ridiculous. I. But yeah, so I, but kink is a big thing for me. And um, like, I, what, I met my boyfriend a week after moving to New York and um, not a week, sorry, four weeks after moving to back to New York. And um, I think like a month after that, I was like meeting his wife at like a heavy kink, heavy play party. Oh, so fun. Like I met her, she was getting flogged by her boyfriend and her boyfriend's girlfriend. Like, oh my God, I'm so here for this. <laughs> Um, and we've just like, he's like, a definitely like more of a, I don't know. I'm, I identify as a switch Me too. and I have more like submissive tendencies, but my newer partner is also a switch. So it's been interesting to explore that because I feel like, um, when you lean into these positions and sexuality it gives you kind of a different lens and like a different way to perform in life mm, um, completely and agree it with also you. like 
people in the BDSM community have so much more in terms of comfort, uh, mm-hmm. comfort consent. Um, that's more of an importance or like spotting a bad dom or stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, I just, there's so much about kink that I love and I feel like I haven't even explored everything yet, but mm-hmm. even just like being able to like start switching has been really nice. I think kink has this really interesting perspective. I mean, you talk about play parties and like, I think that mm-hmm. that is a thing that, that a lot of people do. It's something I have yet to step into, but I'm very, very wanting to. And I know that we're living in a pandemic makes that near impossible, but it'll happen at one point. Mm-hmm. But I also think like a lot of people listening are probably like, I think of kink and I think of like handcuffs in bed, you know, and for me, that was my you know, mm-hmm. understanding of kink, but I, I didn't really understand that there was so much nuance attached to it. And I, and like that there's so, so much, as you said, ways of stepping into it where like you, by stepping into a space where it's a consent based, really beautiful engagement with another person or multiple other people. And it's, it's rooted in kink or BDSM. It not just allows you to have novel and wildly exciting experiences from a sexual standpoint where you can unlock things about yourself that you may have never known were exciting to you but I also Mm -hmm. think it unlocks things about yourself from a non-sexual standpoint like you said the performative piece but I also personally have felt like it's been like this liberation of like myself you know at a whole new level like where I was like oh like yeah, this is safety. This is intimacy. Being able to be bound by another human and completely unable to move and be like fully in their presence and them fully take care of me. It's like, oh my God, like this opened, uh, unlocked this like trauma safety for me that I felt like I could never do that because I was constantly feeling the need to be in control. Or on the flip side, you know, acting more as a dom, being like, my badass self doesn't need to be the one like, like, I can do Mm -hmm. this shit. Like, what if I, you know, like, I'm going to take control in this space and like learn how to do it in a really intentional way. Like, for me, it's been a wildly empowering journey. I Yeah, exactly. Like, for me, even though being dominant isn't something that is inherently masculine, like I've been like leaning more into that and like just kind of like the little ways you can be dominant because I'm like easing into it Mm. is really interesting where it's just like, oh, let me tell you each little way to move. Like, um, Mm -hmm. or like, oh, I've changed my mind. Do this now. Mm -hmm. So like stuff like that is really nice. Um, And also just like as someone who I have, sorry I've never like had an orgasm alone or with anyone and I know it's definitely tied to anxiety and um the like but I notice when I um have a really heavy impact session or um anything of the sorts like I feel like I'm in subspace like I feel a lot more able to access those parts of me Mm, I love that I appreciate you sharing that. That's um Thank you. Yeah. Have you talked about that on like in the media and stuff before or not at all? Um, I might have. I'm not a hundred percent sure. You totally should. But, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't mean to put a shit on you, but yeah. I think that's amazing because I've I know so many people who are have had similar experiences and mm-hmm. like feel so alone in that. So I really appreciate you sharing mm-hmm. and being so vulnerable and candid in that space. And yes, and also you can be a hoe as I identify and not come. That's crazy. Fuck yeah. Well, and that brings <laughs> up a really beautiful point too. I think so many people think that orgasm is like the end goal mm-hmm. when it comes to sex or any sort of sexual intimacy and it's like why like why is that what we expect and why Mm -hmm. is that what we define as quote good 
It's yeah. just interesting. Or like, I also queerness just shows you like mm. to dial to bring it back, like what sex is and can't be like. To some people, sex is an impact session where you're getting spanked. To other people, it's not. And like what like sex can be just like heavy petting for hours. And like I think the more we start to broaden our definition of sex, the more we're going to have enjoyable sex. I completely agree with you. I also think we are completely separate in individual and unique beings when it comes to what turns us on. And so having something where it's like even a moment in an exchange where it's energetic, where we're so close to each other, but not touching each other. Like to me, that can feel like sex in the the right context. You know, I I often feel as much pleasure in that experience as I do when I'm experiencing penetration or Mm -hmm. having someone eat me out or whatever. And it's like that feels amazing. And why, why are we, why do we not, you know, lump that into the same thing? So I love that. I think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's do fun, fast questions to round this out. You ready? Yes. Okay. So I know we haven't talked about this at all, but I like how are you really doing outside of the kink and the E and M and the <laughs> all the stuff? Because there's a lot going on in the world. Like, how are you? How are you really doing? Um, I am recovering from like a. Uh, I think everyone's last week um, was terrible. Like last week was when the coup happened yeah. or the attempted coup. Um, so I've been recovering from a very um, sad and anxious week. What about you? Yeah, feeling the same. <laughs> also deeply on my period right now. So it's like the combo of that is killing me and, mm-hmm. and lack of sleep. So it's like, okay, I just, I'm just i just like a functioning day-to-day, moment-to-moment person. And some days I'm going to yes. feel like I'm on top of the world and can somehow function amidst this world life. And other times I'm like, I just want to die and go into my hole and watch Netflix and pretend like this isn't happening because it sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I feel yeah, like maybe it would just be good to not exist for a little bit. Um, you know, turn my brain off. Love yeah. that. It's been a lot. It's been a lot of anxiety for sure mm-hmm. here with you. What about a lesson that this pandemic has taught you? Um, it's really taught me that um, huh. the pandemic has really taught me that like I am okay to be being alone, like being by myself. Um, isolation has taught me that I'm okay being alone by myself. And like isolation has always been a big trigger for me. Mm. So I'm, I've, I've, I've made my world so much broader in this pandemic than it was before. And that's been so important in like understanding who I am and coping Mm, I love that that's a beautiful answer okay hard like pass like I'm not even dealing with this Mm -hmm. human quality in a person when you're on a dating app you're like I see this I'm fuck no (laughs) Uh, um like the whenever guys like are just like low-key misogynistic or like about um gold diggers and stuff they're like why is everybody's cash shop in their bio like shut up now I'll put my cash shop in my bio if you want you want to talk to me send me 10 bucks like yeah um so that's yeah oh my god I'm dying (laughs) (laughs) I truthfully haven't seen that on dating apps like people having cash apps in their bio that's hilarious I've never seen that yeah, I mean, there's def- some people use Tinder and stuff to like sugar for sure. Fuck yeah, I love that. But, yeah, like do it. Get your yeah. get your bag and everything. But like that just shows me that you're not gonna like any of the work I do. So 100%. like, all right, what have you been feeling the feels around lately? Um, my cat. 
I just really love her and she's dumb and she's getting old. <laughs> What's her name? And I just Lady. Oh, that's the best name for a cat. Oh my god. She didn't She didn't have a n- name for like th- 3 years and then <laughs> cuz she's um she's an orange and white cat. Okay. And the shelter called her Creamsicle. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so I got so we got her when I was still living with my family and um we were like, we're not calling this cat creamsicle. Yeah, what is that? <laughs> but we never came up with anything. So I, my family, like, they moved to Ohio, and, like, I kept a cat. And people kept coming over, like, what is your cat's name? So I was like, her name's Lady. She answers to that. So, yeah. There you go. I love it. Okay, and last question. What does it mean to you to live your fuck yes life? Oh, it's just, like, being – very genuine to myself like knowing that I can make my life exactly what I want it to be like I'm a freelancer I'm ethically non-monogamous I am queer by pan like literally all the ambiguity yeah like I can do anything I want at any moment and like I live in New York um so just doing whatever I want and like leading a life that like is akin to my values Mm. I think that's the lesson here, honestly. Like, I think that's a, a beautiful answer and also the lesson of this. Because whether you're at whether you're listening to this and you're in the E&M space or not, right, at the heart of this, I hope what you've taken away from this conversation is that it's all just about being who you are. It's all about stepping into your fuck yes self. And maybe your fuck yes self is consciously monogamous and that's mm-hmm. within integrity of your values. And maybe your fuck yes self is wildly sex positive and in the kink space, but within your monogamous space. Or maybe, maybe just maybe, you have the potential and the perspective and the life world of you of loving multiple humans. And and maybe you're queer, whatever it is and whoever you are, owning that for yourself and stepping into that and saying, this is how I want to live my life because this is what feels good. As you said in the beginning, like mm-hmm. I'm solo polyam because I want to feel, I want to do what feels good to myself and I want to be my, my primary. Like what a beautiful concept that we can all take away for ourselves, whether we are polyamorous or not, right? Mm-hmm. How, what would it look like to be your own primary, to love yourself, to step into the space and say, I want to just live my life with intention and then choose yeah. things, relationships, life, work, uh, whatever the fuck in accordance with that right like to me that has been such a beautiful path for my own self and I really appreciate you reflecting that because I think that's something we can all take away no matter how we identify so I appreciate you hard okay thank you how can everyone listening or watching find you connect with you post this um it'll all be in the show notes for y'all but yeah let everyone know so I make content for um, folks interested in ethical non-monogamy and um, polyamory, also like mental health and racial justice stuff on Instagram um, at by Gabrielle Smith, E-Y Gabrielle Smith. <laughs> and um, on Twitter, I just complain a lot at Gabrielle <laughs> A. Smith because of the character limit. Yeah. Um, so. I love it. And then anything else um, – is by gabriellesmith.com. You can book peer support sessions and talk to me or um, just see all my writing. 
I love it. Thank you so much. And make sure to follow her, um, you know, getting people in your, whether you are, like I said, whether you are, are polyamorous or not, getting people in your feed who are different than you, who approach life in different ways. That's how we evolve. That's how we constantly learn. That's how we can, mm-hmm. you know, maintain and our flexibility of our mind. And, and that, to me, that's what living your fuck yes life is all about. So I appreciate you being here. This has been such an amazing conversation. And yeah, you're the best. Thank you so much. And there you have it. Thank you so much, Gabrielle, for coming on the podcast. And for everything we talked about in today's episode, you can check them out at show notes or at amandacatherineloy.com forward slash podcast forward slash 116. Holy fuck. How are we at 116? I will never believe this. Um, Also, quick reminder that if you, uh, well, if you're already at this point and you want to watch it again or listen to it again or see our faces, you can watch us on YouTube. Um, That's a new thing. And also um, that the Live Your Fuck Yes Life Summit is coming up. Um, The next one is on February 20th. Um, If you can't make it live um you can always watch the replays they're just as amazing um but you will not be able to buy tickets after the 20th of february so please make sure you snag your tickets they're only 30 dollars. if you are a bipoc or queer person reach out to me um, on instagram and i will send you um the link for a um, what is it it's like a third discount i think um for the ticket normally um tickets are $30 um, otherwise and super, super affordable and such an amazing time. And Gabrielle is going to be one of our guests um, and really deep, deep diving into what the um, ways to actually step into treating yourself like your primary partner um, and building and facilitating trust and safety and security and self-love um, and stability within yourself um, because our most important relationship is the one that we have with ourselves Um, and the other things that we have in our life other relationships work stuff that flourishes from that space and so she's really going to be deep diving into that and I cannot wait to learn from her and for all of you to do the same so you can head to the show notes for that as well or um, just head over to eventbrite.com and and look up Live Your Fuck Yes Life Virtual Summit on there and you can snag it Um, and yeah can't wait to see you all in there and until next week I'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye.